0: Good morning. How's everybody today? My name is John Dingfelder and I'm your host of this little show on WMNF that we call Down and Dirty. On our show we uh, try to dig into local issues in the Tampa Bay region and hopefully inf- inform you about important details that you otherwise might not hear about. So today's topic is a f- is our affordable housing crisis, something we've been reading about and many of us know about personally and we ha- and I have 3 Very knowledgeable folks uh, here in the studio with us today. Uh, Let me start at my right over here is Olivia George. Olivia is a reporter with the Tampa Bay Times, and her current beat is the city of Tampa, and specifically Tampa City Hall when she gets over there on Thursdays. Welcome, Olivia. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's fantastic uh, that you could join us uh, this early in the morning. Uh, We're also joined by Allison Hewitt, an old friend of mine. Allison has been... Deeply involved in affordable housing in numerous capacities for more than two decades, including a six-year stint with Governor, former Governor Jeb Bush. Welcome, Allison. Good
1: morning. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for coming. And another good friend of ours is uh, Jim McCarthy. Uh, Jim has been uh, deeply involved in the home building industry, more on the commercial side, but occasionally on the nonprofit side uh, for many, many years. Uh Jim recently worked with Habitat for Humanity for about a year helping them build affordable housing. Welcome, Jim. Good morning, John. Yeah. So um the reason uh I decided uh and, and Mario Nunez, our our normal co-host, uh could not join us today. We send him our best. He'll be here next week. Reason we decided to do this show, obviously it's an important uh issue, an important topic. Uh uh, affordable housing means so much to, to, to so many people. But Olivia has uh, done, I think, more than a month's worth, worth of research uh, on the topic, and specifically as related to the city of Tampa. Um, this past week, right around the end of the year, she wrote an excellent article that I will read you. The title is Tampa's, Tampa Mayor's Affordable Homes the vow is failing, and it says Jane Castor's promise of ten thousand homes has been a talking point in the affordability crisis, however, records reveal a significant shortfall, and we're going to talk about that in in detail uh in a few minutes, Olivia, but excellent job um Allison jim uh you guys have have been around doing this for for decades uh building homes and 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 in the uh, nonprofit and the profit world, uh, where are we at today? I mean, I mean, you know, as we look around, I think our housing stock is improving. Um, I think we have fewer slums and 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 that, you know that sort of thing. What do they call it, slum and blight in the CRA world? But um, you know, where do you see it, uh, Allison?
1: Well, um, very proud as a third generation from Tampa to see the changes and the improvements in Tampa but frustrated as a uh, resident of East Tampa just to see the slow, absolute, almost snail-paced progress of uh, development in East Tampa. Um, I think that the goal of 10,000 homes was a very laudable goal, um, but understanding the development of affordable housing knew that that would be significantly challenging, especially with this, um, this market. Well,
0: let's talk about that, that goal. Well, to your recollection, where did that goal come from? It, it sort of popped out of thin air as far as I could see.
1: Well, um, from the conversations I had earlier, it, is, it came during the, the transition phase, uh, during the meetings and the recommendations um, that came from um, uh, the, during the mayor's transition, Mayor Castro's transition. That would be back um, in 2019,
0: I 2019, guess. 2019,
1: Yes and uh, met with uh, stakeholders and uh, developers and um, you know, community residents, and uh, that's the number that they, they came up with. Um, again, shared my concern about about that, that number, and um, just appreciate uh, when you were on council, um, we started the process to actually do a housing study so that number could be based on facts and actual um, research. And, so to um, the
0: best of your knowledge, the, the Committee, I guess, the transition committee, Jim, were you on that committee? No, okay, because I know some folks in, in the in the industry were chosen to be on that committee. I, I poked my head in once or twice to the committee and, and uh, kind of got scowled out, so I, I left but uh, but in, in regard to that to that number, it, it like, when I say I pulled it pulled out of thin air, Olivia, did you see any basis for the for the ten thousand originally when you were doing your research?
2: so members of the committee that i 've spoken with and the mayor and city staff have been relatively candid that that initial number was rooted in ambition more than any kind of specific data points. Mm -hmm. City staff have, to their credit, um, been working, it seems, diligently in the past 12 or so months to pull together um, a housing needs, needs assessment that I think we'll be talking about in more detail in a little bit. Um, but as for the initial goal of 10,000 affordable homes, I have been told that that um, was, was rooted in, in ambition yeah. rather than any kind of statistical analysis yeah. that was available at that
0: Jim, time. D- Jim, do you see that number as, as, as being, um, well, let's say, do you see it as needed in this community from your experience?
3: Oh, absolutely! There's such a need. There's it's a supply issue, John, and that's what I'm going. Uh, that's what I will continue to harp on. It's it's supply. Supply will bringing on more residential, whether it's rental or fee simple. It's all good, but it's a supply issue, and and we've got to have more supply. So, so the basic economic concept of supply and demand we don't
0: have enough supply so therefore the prices just go up and become out of out of reach for your, for average folks for folks who've lived here for generations right
1: absolutely and the
0: next generation looks around and all of a sudden what are they doing allison what are they doing when they can't find housing where are they going what are they doing
1: they're moving out of out of the city into the county and then quite honestly it's a challenge in the county they're moving out of the county into the next county or even out of the state completely
0: and then so then you end up with worse transportation and traffic issues because everybody's commuting and we don't have mass transit, et cetera. So you've got one problem creating another problem.
1: Layering it on, yes, sir.
0: Yeah. So yeah. The, the the study that was done, uh Allison, um and, and you know, I'm not gonna really take any credit for it, even though I think maybe I made the motion at council to do the study, but I think I recall you and I sitting over coffee and you pointed out that John, how can we do anything if we don't, you know, really, what? Tell me what you said. I can't remember.
1: (laughs) My thought was, as we are trying to provide this affordable housing, what levels should we be focusing on? What is the highest needs? Are the highest needs at the 80% AMI or 120 AMI? But before we put our tax dollars and invest our tax dollars, we need to probably have a more specific target to make sure that we're having the greatest need and the greatest impact for the use of our tax dollars. And so I will say kudos, this preliminary housing needs assessment really breaks down where those highest needs are. And not only did they, this preliminary findings provide that, but they provided the data that the, where the highest needs are the people with the higher AMI are renting the lower AMI affordable housing units because they can get through the process faster than the lower AMI folks. I mean, so they're really drilling down. So when they, when they, I think they, they got it when they said, okay, we need to have a a plan for where we're going to invest these tax dollars in. And so they really had this um, consultant who worked with the city to put the study in really drill down to where were the basic needs and not only what the basic needs are, but where in the city of Tampa could it be um, built Mm -hmm. in a way that's going to have the most impact for the city of Tampa residents.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I... I'm in a part of uh, the courthouse uh, as an attorney these days. It's sort of like family court. And what I see and hear a lot of is that families are being pushed together where you have you know, one, two, maybe even three families in a three-bedroom apartment and, you know, and, and just severe overcrowding and, and uncomfortable and difficult situations like that just to be able to pay that, that rent.
1: Yeah, for so two of the reasons is one is to pay the rent. And then just like you said, there's just not the, the, the wealth of options there for, for those families to be able to to rent. Because mm-hmm. there is a also a, a difference between the people who are ready to purchase and, and, and buy, even though we, that we have a significant D.A.R.E. program, down payment assistance, but to maintain those payments, to maintain that, insurance the cost of insurance and maintain those taxes even the folks who have the down payment assistance it's a challenge so there's are still you know stuff in the in the rental thing and then we have a whole new generation who doesn't want to buy
0: yeah absolutely and they want yeah.
1: really nice affordable rental housing well they don't we trust don't it on, i guess
0: you know? i guess they've seen seen some bad things and they don't trust it olivia you're pretty young you you in that generation
2: I'm a renter at the moment <laughs> and I think I will be for a long time it's uh, is that
0: by choice do you have any great aspiration to own or
2: I think I have the aspiration but not yet the means
0: okay <laughs> all right you see it on the horizon maybe uh, Jim um, some of the things Allison was mentioning uh, kind of lead me to you and and I at least two of your positions at domain, uh, over, over there, uh, with Kevin Robles and, and that team, mm-hmm. you were there a couple of years and, and you had an opportunity to work with, uh, Mayor Buckhorn, uh, to, uh, on, on, a project. What was that about?
3: Yeah, that was the urban 360 program where they took, a uh, hundred lots within East Tampa, within the CRA boundaries, um, and brought it to an RFP, um, and yeah. That was uh, Bob. You gave a shout out earlier to Bob McDonough and yeah, Bob McDonough, Tom Vanessa, yeah, Tom Snelling, wonderful man, Vanessa mm-hmm. McCrary, just a stellar. So team. the city, so the city, effectively, they said, you know what, we've had these hundred lots sitting around a long time. There was there was lots that were <laughs> we used to kid about it during the Reagan administration. They were sitting for some of these lots they've owned for thirty years. Wow, and a vacant lot does not do anything for the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It just it's just a you know nuisance, right? And to maintain the lot and mow the lots, it's, you know, so so, so they took uh, the, the, these 100 lots and we partnered with, uh, it was a condition of the, whoever won the bid to work with some non-for-profits. So we work with uh, Habitat for Humanity and the CDC of Tampa and gave them lots. And then Domain uh, built a program around creating uh, new affordable homes in East Tampa. It was very successful. Uh, I wish... I wish the program got more credit than it did, um, because it 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 did exactly what it was meant to do. It it kept people within East Tampa. Uh, the majority, I'd say, well over eighty five percent of the uh, p- the residents were within already were living in East Tampa, so they weren't coming in from, you know, the suburban market into the urban core. As I recall, the price point was what 200 and something? yeah it 178 to 220 with down payment assistance think about it John yeah, it was truly affordable hundred yeah. percent and even we got criticized that it wasn't affordable at the time but it, but it was and look at those some those people today probably easily have 150 160000 dollars in equity that's how you build wealth mm. and that's what you can do with housing and you can do it with affordable housing too but it has to have a program and some incentives for private developers to do it and right now i see lack of incentives uh there's no you know they talk about expedited permitting and all those things it it, it, it day to day that's not really accurate mm-hmm. they don't they don't waive or give you you know impact fee credits or waivers it's it's hard it's affordable housing is hard it's extremely hard for the non-for-profits because they can't they can't their buying power is not like a big production home builder like i work for um so it's it's very challenging but yeah that program that urban 360 program was uh we took 100 lots and within less than two years there were homes occupied and i i assure you you talk to those residents today they're very happy that they They bought into East Tampa because I really feel that East Tampa is, you know, it's still a gateway of opportunity.
1: Exceptional opportunity. And 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 such great people there. To build on the the, the, what you've just said, how the difficulty in developing, especially for the nonprofit in developing affordable housing, is then you saw the price of those land. But now the lots over here in East Tampa Two hundred thousand dollars. So how are we going to build an affordable housing when the dirt before you get to building puts puts most of the folks who live in East Tampa out of the running?
3: I saw it coming. Anybody that was in the in the industry saw it coming. So there was a there was a gap after that program when the program was really going. All of a sudden these investors came in and they were buying the lots off the courthouse steps, and they were in, and it was like... And they were still picking them up pretty cheap. Very cheap. Yeah, 30000 30, well, l- Less than, that. Less than in, that. In the early days, it was 9500 to, you know, $22,000. Wow. Now, you can't touch a lot. I'm not even sure what a, a, a lot of, say, a vacant 50-by-100-foot lot in East Tampa has got to be probably... 85000 dollars now.
1: Right something. on the railroad tracks at ninety-five to a hundred thousand. Yeah. See that? On see the that? Railroad once
3: you lose that, you lose it. Yeah. You, you, you can't make it work. I but, recall but, that period of time,
0: thinking myself probably even mentioning it to staff members. We're missing a window of opportunity because 100%. the city could have been in there, hundred percent buying up those lots and paying a little more, twenty-five thousand. And then and then stockpiling them until you know until there's a critical mass, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I, I I kid about. You're losing these lots to trust fund babies in Connecticut that are sitting on their computers at home and just buying these tax deeds and flip, foreclosures. Flip them out. Yeah, and once you, and, and those are not they're they they do not have the, the, the East Tampa. They don't have the community in mind. They all they care about is is. And not at all. They're not, they're not fun people. Yeah. No. yeah. So, Olivia, um, your hard work,
0: uh, I think, kind of brought us here today. Um, what inspired you to, to start this research and, and look into this project? Tell us a little bit about how that began.
2: Sure. So I, like many other people in the area, had heard Mayor Castor time and time again talk about this goal of adding 10,000 homes to the city inventory by 2027. Her progress towards that goal had been a top talking point during Tampa's continual affordability crisis as residents wrestle with rising bills and fears of being priced out. And so last summer, I began, right when I started in this position, started um, to want to lift the lid on and just better understand at what projects were feeding those claims of progress. Um, and I honestly thought that it would be a much less time consuming process than it yeah, ended I thought up you being. Said, I thought it
0: was just a month. Now you're telling us it was like four months, <laughs> I mean, five months. I, I yeah. was
2: working on a, a lot of things at the same time, so it wasn't dedicated time, but uh, it, it had been looming large in my mind as something that was important to give attention to in part because as we've established, housing is front and center for a almost every city resident. And this is something that the mayor has said is really um, a priority of her administration. And I found a couple things that I found interesting and and also people that have engaged with the story have found um, interesting and peculiar. Among those, the administration remains well shy of the 6,000 homes mark, which is a mark that the mayor first claimed to have surpassed back in um, a press conference in October 2021. So that's more than two years ago. And I also found reviewing city records and talking with people that had um, knowledge of the goal and progress claims that were being made, that past progress claims had included hundreds of units outside of city of Tampa limits, um, projects with which the administration continues to play little or no role continue to feed, um, claims of progress towards this kind of cornerstone pledge. Um, and so I, I wrote up my findings and like you said, I published a story about this last week.
0: Now you, eventually you came across a, a spreadsheet. I, I think that the city staffers were, were using to base the 6,000 uh, number on, correct?
2: That's correct. So, yeah. um, City staff have had a running tally in the form of a spreadsheet that they uh, say that they routinely update. Um, they've described it as a living document. And, you know, I, I think that's fair. None of us are going to say that affordable housing is easy. Um, there can often be uh, time delays as developers wait to hear back from certain uh, state grants or tax incentives that they might be vying for. So the number on this spreadsheet is routinely updated and does go up and down. I was still uh, surprised to see that that 6,000 threshold had not been surpassed, considering the administration first claimed to have done so more than two years ago. Um, And I was also surprised to see that projects that, while important, do little to boost supply, um, were still feeding progress claims and progress claims about a goal that had routinely been described as uh, desiring to increase housing stock
0: in the so, city. <clears throat> so in, in all fairness, and I try and be fair on this show, mm-hmm. I, I did call the a uh, senior uh, city administrator um, and told them we were going to be t- talking about this, told them we'd be talking about th- your article specifically, mm-hmm. and asked them to join us uh, on the show and... Um, I was told that they were all too busy, so let's hope they're busy building affordable homes. But uh, anyway, little little cynicism there. I'm sorry. Um, the some of the details and and uh, I was being a good little student last night. I was highlighting your article, Olivia. But some of the details I, I saw that jumped out for me in print in your article. Uh, let me let me run through a few of them. You said sixty sure. percent. Of the homes that they've claimed, and the six thousand have not been built yet; that they're still in the planning stage, including Robles Park got a lot of notoriety over the last couple of years because that's where the uh, the cemetery popped up uh, over there off Florida Avenue. But but Robles Park, which is a an old project that needs to get knocked down and needs to be redeveloped by the Tampa Housing Authority, um, they included. What what did they include, Olivia? Let, let me not put words in your mouth. Um,
2: you mean specifically as it pertains to Robles Park? Yeah. So uh, Robles is is on the the city's progress tracker, this spreadsheet that mm-hmm. I've mentioned. Eleven
0: hundred units out of the six thousand, I think, is what you wrote.
2: Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there are a couple things I guess to flag about Robles. Uh, number one being that the count that the city has for, for the what the new Robles development will be, which, as you said, is um, 1,100 homes, is higher than what the latest housing authority projections are. So there's already a discrepancy in that the housing authority are projecting fewer homes than what um, the city has included and is banking on to feed their progress claims. Um, and another thing to note is that Demolition has not started yet for Robles, um, and money has not yet been secured for construction. And I'm not flagging that to point fingers or to say that that's anyone's fault. But I do think it is important. Again, when you're when you're making a increasing supply a policy priority, it's important that constituents um, understand that these projects take time and that folded into these progress claims are projects which are years and years from completion. Yeah.
0: Maybe it would have been more honest or straightforward or, as you s- said to me yesterday, Allison, transparent, if the mayor and the administration had said, we're working on 6,000 units or something like that. Um, you know, because that would be a much broader... You know, a broader way of saying they're in some stage of development at all, but uh, but I believe that during the campaign, when we heard the mayor the mayor and the candidate mayor say, six thousand units." It, I think it led people. What do you think, Allison? Did,
1: oh, definitely. It? That was my my main concern. Is I'm out in the community. I talk to seniors. I try to encourage people to move back to Tampa. And there is a there was a hope that okay, we have options now because there's six thousand units out there, so I can find something. But it was not there. It was it, it's not even close to being there. This is years behind. So. Um, again, I don't take away from the work that they're doing, but in your communication to your constituents, at least respect their intelligence enough, respect what they're going through as as, as people who are trying to navigate between inflation and work and paying bills that, be honest, so we only have 1,000 new units. We don't have 6,000. So we, we there's not something out there for you if you just look a little harder. So transparency and honesty if you if you put as much energy into saying you know we have these planned units or we're working with this partnership to bring this or we are even working on these policies but at least have that 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 transparent conversation and not just a talking point that's just a buzzword that makes it easy for you to say we have 6000 units rather than say okay we have you know, a thousand units that we have coming out of the ground and we have another planned, but we're also working on these policies for you to help increase the affordable housing stock here. Right. But but be transparent and communicate it all. Don't just have this talking point that gives hope that is actually just a myth.
0: You know, there <laughs> I couldn't help but look up this quote last night from Mark Twain. It says there are three kinds of lies Lies, damn
3: lies, and statistics. I thought that was uh, perhaps (laughs) relevant to today's conversation. Well, you know, one statistic that I think they've left out also, and it's not that there's a stigma between rental and fee-simple ownership, but it's two different forms of uh, housing. Absolutely. I mean, um, and I I don't see a difference. There's quite a difference between rental and fee-simple ownership, and I really think that they should make that more transparent is how many rentals versus how many fee simple owners you like deed where you're, you're owning a home. Um, yeah. I think that would be two a, different goals, two different goals and they can both be aspirational, but to lob it in into one category, I think is a little bit, yeah, it's a little, because,
0: Jim, you, you just described a few minutes ago, um, you know, how difficult and challenging it was it took two years and many people to do a hundred, Homes for sale homes yeah and 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 uh, that's the reality of it and and uh but I'd say of these other thousands of homes that maybe be on on the books planning what have you at Robles Park at West End, those are all rentals um that's not that's not an opportunity for fee, fee ownership is that correct, olivia?
2: This is an interesting point, and I think I'll use this moment to say I hope to continue writing uh, thoroughly and thoughtfully about these we, we, issues. We hope you do, too. <laughs> and I, this is a, a follow-up story that I would like to spend time on, um, looking at rental versus, versus ownership, because as you say, uh, they, they're they kind of smushed together <laughs> in in current uh Claims of progress. And as, as you as you say, they, um, they're they both important, but there there is a difference that is yeah. important, too. So
0: for those of you who are tu- tuned in uh, in the last couple of minutes, uh, my name is John Dingfelder. You'll listen to WMNF. Uh, our, our show is called Down and Dirty, and today we're getting down and dirty on the rather difficult and challenging issue of uh, affordable housing. Uh, with me in the studio today is uh, Tampa Bay Times reporter Olivia George, Uh Allison Hewitt is also with us, and, and Jim McCarthy, 2 uh, t- I'm going to call you guys experts in the field. How's that? <laughs> um, another, another concern that I think you alluded to a little bit in your article, on Olivia, and it's always been a concern of mine, is what is the net progress, okay? So in other words, uh, uh, and Jim and Allison, you're very familiar with many of these kind of old, you know, sort of nasty, you know, classic federal government projects that were in the city, and over years, most of them have been torn down and, and and new things built. But I would argue that you can't, if you knock down 400 units and you build, you know, let's say 500 units, I think I think your net progress is only 100 units. Um, and we and I I would say the you know. You know, Allison, what do you think?
1: Oh, I definitely agree. Um, there's been some little consternation with uh, a lot of the affordable, uh, especially the housing authority that has been knocked down. Um, but kudos to the housing authority for replacing what they did in Encore and, and things of that. Belmont Heights, is pretty, but exactly. pretty decent. Yeah. I- exactly, but when you knock down a thousand and you put up five hundred. You didn't have a net gain of five hundred, you had a net loss of five hundred, and th- we don't tell that story,
0: right? And over we at West West End, I think was part of your article, Olivia. I'm sorry to, to cut you off, uh, Allison. Um, West End, West River,
2: the West River, West River, happened. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, they had that. There were there were hundreds and hundreds of those green units over there uh, that were that were knocked down and that are being re- rebuilt with you know what appear to be very nice six story you know, buildings, rentals, um, but, but what's the net? What's the net?
2: This is another good question I hope to spend more time on in the weeks ahead, but if we're using West River as an example, as of mid-December, um, city data claimed that uh, 1,311 units uh, were completed towards this goal. About 600 of those completed units so just shy of half, uh, were found at West River, um, which, as you mentioned, uh, involved the demolition of units that were there beforehand. And this is a question that I put to sources that readers have put to me in the aftermath of the article um, that say, you know, is is it fair to claim progress if you're not accounting for demolition? I do think it's important to note that, Former residents are moved into other subsidized housing. So, you—it is true to say <clears throat> that you um, might not see a net gain of affordable units on site, but um, people have been given support to live elsewhere that we could probably spend a whole episode talking about... Basically, are um, talking about
0: Section 8. Right,
2: to- talking about displacement, talking about how um, the kind of impacts that that can have on a neighbourhood, on a community. Other people are probably better positioned to discuss that than I am. Um, but yes, in short, the uh, the administration's tally is not accounting um, or recognising demolition. Yeah.
0: Um. Let's talk about Rome Yard um, for those of you who aren't familiar with it. Uh, this was a piece of land, kind of a prime piece of land along the river. Uh, what is it? Halfway between, uh, where is it, Jim? Uh,
3: it's just south of the Columbus
0: Bridge. Right, between Columbus and and uh, sort of uh, everyone Main refers, Street. Everyone refers to it by Ricks on the River. Ricks on the River, <laughs> there you go. Um, how many acres uh, are we talking about there And and um, Olivia, you mentioned that that the city included once again twelve percent of their six thousand uh, was from Rome Yard. I'm sort of embarrassed because I went out there under a tent uh, a couple of years ago um, for I guess it wasn't a groundbreaking, but it was like a big hoopla announcement and to say we're going to do this. We're 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 right on the verge of putting out an RFP and. And we're going to make this project happen. And somehow those units magically ended up uh, 12% of the uh, 6,000 on the list. Well, where's Where's the Rome Yard project, Olivia?
2: So a groundbreaking has yet to take place at Romeyard. Um, when I most recently touched base with the Housing Authority, um, I believe the most up-to-date information I was given is that the developer is uh, currently in the process of applying for uh, financing that they need to take the product. When you off say housing
0: map. authority, you mean the housing department?
2: The, no, the Tampa Housing Authority.
0: Oh, are they doing Rome Yard?
2: It's a mm-hmm. it's a um oh, a sorry. collaboration. With okay, the Tampa I didn't realize housing they were Authority it. And related. Okay.
0: Uh huh.
2: Yeah. Um. So we don't have a groundbreaking date. Um, and yet the city estimates that there will be, I believe, 647 um, income-restricted rental units at Rome Yard, which they are counting towards their progress towards this. And that, I believe, is going
0: to be a mixed-use project as well?
2: Yeah. So um, 647 is specifically the kind of, quote-unquote, affordable rental units. Mm -hmm. And that, as a result, accounts for 12% of the administration's current progress um, towards this 10,000 homes goal. You know, that's that's quite a substantial amount. And I think the significance of um, flagging it as not having a groundbreaking date, again, is just to provide insight for readers that even um, even these progress claims, which I found to include exaggeration and misrepresentation on a number of levels, they really are undergirded by projects which are years and years from completion. Again, not saying that that's any one particular person's fault, but it is important context when you are communicating this goal to the public.
0: You know, I was talking to a good friend of mine, uh, Alan, yesterday, and I told him, you know, about this. He had seen your article and we talked about this. And I said, Alan, you're just Joe Citizen. I said, how does that make you feel? And he's a very smart guy, and he said that, The public trust for government is probably at an all-time low. And when you get this type of, what did you describe it, Olivia, as misleading or deceptive?
2: I think it's fair to say that post-progress claims have been um, inflated by misrepresentation Misrepresentation. and exaggeration.
0: And and when you get that, Alan straight up told me, he he said, why should I go vote? Why should I trust anybody in government? Why you know uh, that effectively? He said that he called it lies, and it's unfortunate. Well, let's go back to a little bit happier topic. Um, Some of these projects, I think, like West River, are mixed use. Correct? Um, And and what is what does that mean, Jim?
3: Uh, I don't know the the details of the West River project. It's just in a general way. Yeah, it's it's you know it's again it's based on AMI average medium income and you know some are market rate and some are uh you know subsidized and i think they're going to even have some senior yes in it mm-hmm. i think it's an exciting project uh I'm, I'm looking for you know that was vacant for many many years so it's not like they displaced anyone there
2: right for so it's a little
3: out. bit different mm-hmm. um, but um you know that you know well, that's the, the way the housing authority operates they, yeah. they
0: they go vacant for a couple of years yeah. while they're getting their act together and
2: but if we're specifically talking on Rome yard that was um, an unused a oh, Rome city yard unused i think it was a fleet maintenance correct. lot yeah correct so yeah. i mean and it's uh it's great to see that that will, will one day be hopefully a, a yeah. hub of bustling community and
0: that will be a net gain because <laughs> like you say it was just industrial before mm-hmm. yeah they probably i'm pretty sure they had environmental stuff uh, that they had to deal they with did. They over did. there because it mm-hmm. was uh, trucks and yeah maintenance and that sort of thing. But it's very
3: rare you find a parcel that large within the urban core. Yeah. It's, it's, quite an oper- it's quite a canvas for them to create something special.
2: Right, with uh, uh, walkability and transportation, transportation links yeah. as well.
3: Yeah. Allison, um, let's talk about mixed use a little bit
0: more as a general concept. What it, what does it mean to you and is it is it a good or bad thing as compared to these sort of monolithic uh, projects that we used to have?
1: because affordable housing, I think, is um, much more than just a provide the housing and make sure it's affordable. And, And again, I'm speaking now for my love of East Tampa is mixed use and mixed income is highly needed because of our transportation challenges. If we have a mixed income, mixed use development, then people can then walk to the things that they need within their community. And if it is also a mixed use, they could be jobs and commercial units under there. And who hires more local than local small businesses? So if we are um, providing more opportunities for small businesses here in the city of Tampa, who could then hire locally and then increase their pay scale, and then the folks who can walk to their jobs, I think that we need more mixed use, mixed income, especially in the urban core. Um, One of the things that I will also give the city credit for is that they are really trying to um, increase that missing middle. And, And so it's not just apartments, in single-family homes, where are the duplexes or the townhomes or the fourplexes to be able to give those opportunities? But we need try and get
0: a little more density on what used to be a you know a single-family lot. Exactly. Maybe we can put two or three um, units together, you in, in the form yeah. of a townhome or that sort of thing. The Jim, uh, you were alluding to it before, also about um, and maybe I used the wrong term, Olivia. I think because it was a part of your article as well about mixing folks. Of different incomes in the same building, and I think they are doing that along Main Street there, and whatever the, that project's name is, uh, West West something or other, um, West River, West River, yeah, the one that's already built by Related mm-hmm. and, and operated, but um, but mixing uh, folks of different incomes, so so y- you don't know who's up and down your hallway, who's who's affordable and who who's not, Allison.
1: Correct, and that way you are. Um I, I did say one time uh, um, lifting uh, rising tide lifts all boats mm-hmm. but if one boat has a hole in it that boat is not going to get lifted by that. But if you can just plug that hole, but you have, again, just folks who are working every day, who are trying to take care of their family, you are lifting that entire community by being able to mix those incomes and not separating and segregating. We have the poor people who live over right. here and the more affluent there. If we can and the, all. The,
0: the stigma that goes with that. I, when I was teaching school uh, over in Ebor City of Booker T., Washington, more than half my students were from Tampa Park apartments, which was pretty much, you know, affordable housing. They've recently torn it down. And uh in Central Park, which has now become Encore. And there was a tremendous stigma um, of poverty and everything that goes with that, um, you know, in those units and with those children and you know, and growing up generations, generations in the in the in those same projects. So now if you have a mixed use development well I say mixed, I don't know what's is there a better term for it, Olivia?
2: Um, mixed income, Mm -hmm. mixed
0: income, mixed use
2: tends to refer to when you have a development that includes, um, community centers as well as housing, as well as maybe a fitness center and things like that. So I think mixed income is, is what you're referring
0: to. I think that's a whole nother topic uh, for your, your series. I've I've just authorized you, I'm your new editor, your (laughs) series on, on these issues. Um, but I think it's just so positive, um, for those families, for those communities um, on, a,
2: on a positive note, I, I also do think it is important to recognize that the pandemic did exacerbate um, the city's housing needs in the, I mean, in the words of Nicole Travis, the city's chief administrator of development and Ecom- uh, economic opportunity, who I spoke to for this story. She said, you know, we've had to focus on keeping people housing stable, um, through rental assistance, things like that, in addition to building new units, and I, I do think it's important to underscore that point. Under um, the Caster administration, you know, we've seen the city launch an information hotline for rental uh, for renters, financial assistance programs, partnering with legal aid organizations to help those facing evictions. And so, um, I also just did think it it is fair to to foreground those strides too. I-
0: I agree. I was on council during a a good part of COVID, and we were scrambling to to put those programs into play. Mm -hmm. And they're very important, and I think the city did a decent job on those programs. But the problem is, is I think the city dropped the ball on these other big projects. Mm -hmm. And to continue to be out there saying, we've done 6,000 units, I believe, is misleading and and deceptive. Um, For those of you tuning in, uh, we're talking about affordable housing. Uh, We have uh, two experts, uh, Jim McCarthy and and Allison Hewitt, and uh, Olivia George is from Tampa Bay Times. She wrote an excellent piece this past week. Look it up. It's called Tampa Mayor's Affordable Homes Vow Failing. And uh, pull it up and and learn, learn a lot. For those of you who want to call in, We'll go ahead and take your calls if you're inclined to to give us your opinion on any part of this our number is 813-239-9663 and we do have somebody uh, waiting for your calls so Olivia when you you know you started putting this together finally in the month of December I guess or maybe November um, putting the story together as a you know, as a journalist, you were fair. You went to the administration, uh, talked to different people. And did you talk to the mayor? I did. And sit down, phone, what? Sit down. Uh huh. And how'd that go?
2: I um, was grateful, as I always am, to have face-to-face time with her. I always like to give people um, a fair shot. Olivia, at this show is called "Down and Dirty." <laughs> <to> things <laughs> that I'm reporting on. Um, <laughs> I, I will say um, that she uh, she was was relatively straightforward with me in not having the information in front of her, mm. and did direct me to um, city staff who work with tallying this progress much more kind of intimately than she does. so Had you told
0: them in advance what you wanted to talk about?
2: um, I had, I had. But most of my sort of most in-depth interviews were with city staff. hmm. The mayor um, uh, yesterday at an event said that she found my story to be misleading. Mm-hmm. Um, she had told me in an interview that I had been splitting hairs. Um, she reiterated her pride for her team and the work that they have been doing, which I, I just mentioned, like the um, rental assistance and the information hotline, all of which are really, really important. Um, but I, I was not able to get a direct response to, I think, some of my most pressing findings Including the fact that past progress claims had included hundreds of units outside of city units, outside of city limits, sorry, and that um, routine maintenance projects that the city really has very little involvement continue to undergird uh, claims of progress.
0: Yeah. Allison, um, uh, folks you know, if, if the mayor stood in front of them and, and they made these claims or accusations of uh, deception or what have you. And the mayor said, oh, you're splitting hairs. What do you think their reaction would be if they are having trouble finding a place to live or they're living two or three families to an apartment or what have you?
1: I think it's the same of what your conversation you had with your, your friend. It's just a lack of, of trust, the the disbelief that, you know, even if, you know, they say 6,000, they know it's not true because they feel the pain. They feel the challenge. Um, and they don't see the, the clear what what's happening. Because if you say that your action is you're going to create 6,000 units, then that's what they're expecting to see. But if you say we're going to create units, we're going to rehab units, we're going to look at policies that increase it, if that's your consistent message, not we're going to do 10,000 units and we're at 6,000, then you are creating an expectation and you are creating clear transparency. And, again, that's all that I've ever asked for is just say what you're doing. Because, again, they're working hard. The team that she has put together is really putting you know, nose to the grindstone for this. But it is, we're not going to build our way out of it. We're going to have to create policies. We're going to have to... You know, we have uh, the city council approved a pre-development program, so we'll be able to help people who own their land to be able to develop it. So we're not having gentrification. Also, that's another underlying, you know, you know, um, uh, un, unspoken concern for those of us who are from here is the the gentrification of our neighborhoods. Yeah,
0: the uh, Olivia, I'm I'm going to quote out of your article another. Comment from the mayor um, when you were talking about the various details, and she said, "And I quote: I don't know that we need to get fixated on a number." Um, what did she mean by that? In your opinion?
2: So, um,
0: I mean, I mean, the I mean- original number was hers, right? It was ten thousand units, and then the subsequent number. Hey, out of the ten thousand, we already did six thousand. Um, Allison. You and I are number crunchers. Um, out of that six thousand, after we subtract the sixty percent for this and the twelve percent for that, and and this and that and this and that, Allison, you crunch those numbers. What do you What did you come up with instead of six thousand?
1: We have on the completed list for their um, their document, we have um, seven hundred and twenty three. But of that seven hundred and twenty three, one hundred and seventy five are rehab.
0: So that takes us, what, into the 500 range? Correct. So instead of 6,000, it's really, and I came up with a similar number, four or 500. It's really four or 500. Allison, you're nodding your head. Jim, I won't put you on the spot. And Olivia, you've got more work to do, so I'll leave you out of this. But Allison, um, f- f- let's say 500 would be generous, five or 600 out of, instead of 6,000, 10% less than 10% of what they've been claiming and what they've been telling in the community. We do have a call coming in. Let's see if I can pull that in. Okay. Caller, are you there? Caller, are you there? Hello? Hello. 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 Yes, you you've got us. WMNF down and dirty. Oh, oh hello. <laughs> oh, you were calling about hi. affordable housing?
2: Actually, yes. Hi. I'm calling because I served on the East Tampa Revitalization uh Committee Aesthetics and Beautification for a couple of years, so I'm kind of familiar with how it all came together.
0: All right. What's your first and- name? We'd like to chat with you.
2: Hi. This is Enza.
0: Hi, Enza. So so give us your comment.
2: I'm just wondering if there's an update on the DOT uh, Lexus Lanes and how it's, you know, p- playing out in East Tampa and what the determination is on how that all kind of is going to come together with, you know, eliminating a lot of residential properties and older homes. And just curious if you know about that.
0: All right. Well, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. Um, All right. So it's a little bit off topic um, in regard to Lexus lanes. I served on some of those boards. It's my understanding that the DOT does want to put in uh, those. Uh, they're putting them in in Pinellas County, and and uh, and they do want to include those so-called Lexus lanes as they come through the city of Tampa. The DOT and their defense claims that they're not. Going, they're not going to widen out the interstate either, I four or two seventy five as it comes through Tampa. They're going to uh, work within their footprint. That's that's about all the, the the update that I've got on that. So, Olivia, going back to the mayor's quote, I don't need, I don't know that we need to get fixated on a number. Well, I'm sort of fixated on a number that they were claiming six thousand units, and my math and Allison's math comes down to let's say ten percent of that. Is actually built, which is like 600 units. But um, I cut you off earlier, and I apologize. What, what, where
2: were you going? Oh, that's quite all right. Um, so the full quote was: "I don't know that we need to get fixated on the number. We're working hard every day to provide everyone in need with a roof over their head." Uh, I th- I took it as um, this being a way to remind me of. Other progress that the city has made um, and kind of take issue with the fact that I was spending so much time on this specific goal. As I said at the outset of this show, this, um, this was a pledge that the mayor made repeatedly um, that she had said over and over again. It was not something that anyone else put on her. And if you're an elected official and you say something time and time again you know, it's my job as a local government reporter to fact-check you on it. Absolutely,
0: don't so. never apologize for that. It it is your job, and it's a critical job, and and we need we need more of it. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left, Jim. Uh, I don't want this whole topic to be negative. Uh, do you see any any hope uh, for the future? And and what is the uh, you know what is, what is the solution? What's the magic? What's the magic solution?
3: There's no one magic solution. For it. I think it takes a lot of creative people, first of all, to recognize the issue. You, we mentioned when we started the show, you were used the word crisis. We're past the word crisis. We've been in a crisis, and it's not getting any. You better. see that in your church
0: and, and that, that work.
3: I'm I sure, mean, a lot. everything, and and we're not even talking about other things like property insurance. Property insurance since two thousand nine has tripled. It hasn't doubled. It's tripled. So And utilities, that's going up. So all of this combined is just, it's a tsunami. And we've we've got to give the resources to the non-for-profits. The city has to get out of their own way, truly do expedited permitting, think about other solutions that they could do to incentivize private developers to come in and build housing. And... I'm seeing it within the urban core, but, you know, through my job, I, I handle acquisition for the entire state of Florida. It's not just in the urban cores. I'm seeing rural areas, lack of affordable housing. It's a critical. So, um, and people you know, are, I, I'm still coming. They're still coming. You know, you saw Zillow saying today we're again, we're at a top five market. It's, it's it, we're not going to stop. Um, but we need to continue the dialogue and get the banks at the table and get. The, the non-for-profits, the private developers, the cities, the counties, everybody working together and not make housing a political issue. It's Correct. it's an economic issue. It's our survival.
0: It needs to be a priority. I mean, I, in my opinion, put down everything else and make this a priority. Allison, you got the last word.
1: Well, again, um, just appreciate if there's transparency, honesty, if they would make their message more... What they're doing with the comp plan to be able to address affordable housing. What they're doing with future land use about affordable housing. You know, have a serious discussion about creating a housing trust fund to be able to supplement those private developers, those How about, how about those
0: put their money where their mouth is? How about that? Correct. Yep. Listen, this is John Dingfelder. Uh, we're out today. Uh, the next up is The Skinny with, with Mitch and his uh, unruly gang over there. And uh, Al- Allison, Olivia, Jim, we appreciate uh, all your hard work. We appreciate you coming in today. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thanks. Catch you so. next week. Mario, we miss you.